sweeps Michigan, and BC steals my idea. This is Puck University. Welcome back. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined as always by our New England correspondent, Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. And before we get into Roar Sparty, we are going to have to get into what happened this weekend between Boston College and Boston University. Now, Chris, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, but I have to get us started because something I heard about the game on Saturday at Conti Forum made my eyes pop out of my head. Oh no! Are you you're going to be rehashing old uh, repressed memories and old bitterness towards the conference? And I should note in advance, I was not at Conti Forum for the second game, so everything I say about it here will be said through the eyes of, uh, from what I've been told by people. I've got one uh, one friend I know who just was there is a BU student and was there as a regular fan. And one who was the in-building MC for BC, we overlapped at high school for a little bit. So I do have that perspective on that game. Just for when we get there, everything I say about that game at BC will be said through that lens. But I'm just going to mute my mic and let you rant for a little bit about uh, this BC thing, because I know exactly what it is that you're going to be rambling about. Okay, so I've got a story for you folks. In 2002, I was working for Northeastern's athletics department under the external affairs office as a co-op. And most of my job was to come up with ideas to try little promotions that would cost us nothing or next to nothing that could get more students to go to basketball and hockey games because it was the winter of the year. So it was January through I was there till June, but it was the end of the college hockey season. Northeastern was in the thick of the Bruce Crowder era, so they were not doing well at all. And it was ugly. And Matthews, we're going to talk about it later. We've, we've seen some attendance struggles at Matthews Arena in recent years. But if you think it was bad then, just imagine what it was like in 2002 when the Huskies were absolutely horrid. And... I came up with the idea because they were big at the time of giving out thunder sticks to this event in, in actually it was 2003. Sorry for, sorry for dating myself there a little bit, but it was 2003. It was shortly after Super Bowl 37, one of the great sports moments of my life as a fan. And I came up, well, it was big in the World Series the previous year, and it was showing up all over the place. So why not give out Thunder Sticks for a Northeastern game? Foolishly not thinking that maybe arming a drunken doghouse, not the greatest of ideas. Now, in fairness, when we gave out these Thunder Sticks, which I really wish I had kept a pair so I could take a photo of them, show it to all of you, put it on this podcast, you'd see what they looked like. They were white with a Go Huskies red written across them. Nothing happened. Nobody threw anything on the ice. Nobody beat each other over the head with the Thunder Sticks. It went better than expected. And we were, we kind of just put them in a closet and the Thundersticks were never seen again. I'm sure someone somewhere has them. I don't know who has them now, but I know we, we couldn't give them out again. Yet here, 16 years later, I get reports from some friends that at Saturday night's game between Boston College and Boston University, a game that... For the traditionalist, if you need a noisemaker for this, then these programs have really fallen off a cliff. But BC gave out thunder sticks for this game. And for, for BC to rip off my idea and for them to take 16 years to do it, I can't help but be a little bit perturbed. You know, Chris? <laughs> Are you good? You got all that venting out of your system. <laughs> yeah, I, totally- I, I think I've got it out of my system, and I know you have a lot of thoughts on these games. I totally get it. Uh, I get the frustration, and uh, uh, I'll note that from the perspective of the my friend, the BC in in uh, arena MC, not not in studio, the in arena MC noted that the crowd was loud but there weren't the kind of chirps going back and forth with the BU fans. And BU was – they 
for all the BU people who went, the students who managed to get tickets in that one corner right up against the wall of Conti Forum where uh, they always get their tickets, the places that they, uh, that they were from, they still were just as loud as big sections of that Boston College crowd. And all of the chirps from BC went back and forth between mostly being answers towards the dog pound uh, which are, yeah, uh, the, the, uh, the BU fans. So I think there's definitely some, uh, some issues for you to take with them giving out thunder sticks because the traditionalist probably would have a little bit of exception with that. And then you would look at the night before at where it was a, a, as close to a sold out crowd. I think there were only, like 200 seats that were left unfilled or something, uh, something pretty small like that. Um, you know, and the place was packed and there were light shows and the, uh, the video board announcements were great. And the band was loud and the people were into it. That Friday night game is what the fandom of college hockey should look like. And the signage, by the way, I, I have to give a oh. little bit of a tip to that a tip of the hat to, to be you for the signage coming into that game. I'm sure if you're a college hockey fan, you've seen the tweets, you've seen the pictures. This was rivalry at its best. The The students of Boston University came prepared for this one. Yeah, it was awesome. It was BU at its absolute best, and it's part of the reason I love college hockey, which, let me vent a little frustration of my own, uh, Boston University. Why isn't this the crowd every single night at Aganis? To give some credit, everyone who shows up on a regular basis at Aganis Arena makes it loud. And even if there's only 3,000 people in about a 6,000 and change building, those 3,000 are very loud and it feels like they're on top of you. And I'm not talking to those people who go to every game. But why is the student section not that kind of crazy every single game? Why is the building not 6K every single game? This program deserves that kind of support. This school has the capability of doing something that awesome. And I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. That crowd was some of the best that I've ever seen at BU. It's some of the best I've ever seen at any college hockey game. Now, admittedly, I've not been up to the UP, and I, I should note this. I tweeted out a video of some uh, Michigan Tech fans going crazy at their game over the past weekend. And uh, I got blown up on Twitter. But I think it's the most interactions I've had on one single tweet was people saying, yeah, Michigan Tech is awesome. So when are you coming up here? So, you know, I may have to go up to Houghton just to appease these people or to just, you know, hang out with and see the good people of Michigan Tech. But hey, Tech, we're available. If you want to if you want to buy a couple of plane tickets and fly us up to Houghton, we will we will happily go and, oh, and yeah. see what it's like up there. I'm, I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I just look at that again as crowd. I look at the energy of the building i look at how berserk that place was right to the bitter end with that empty net uh, with the last goal scored by bc and i should note that bc for their play on the ice for their questionable crowd at connie form at times because it was a late arriving crowd in some ways where it was after puck drop when the upper sections of connie form properly filled in despite all of that they played a very good weekend of hockey, and that team is probably a bit better than uh, than what their record shows. I, you probably could say the same about BU. But goodness, guys, this building, Aganis and Conti, should be packed to capacity every single weekend. And I don't have any kind of clue as to why these schools are so unable to fill their buildings. They have the tradition, they have the team, they have the quality. But I'd rather have their position than Harvard's. And we'll talk about them a little bit later on, but let, let's just stay on this uh, this BUBC weekend and act, let's try actually talking about the hockey a little bit maybe. Yeah, it was a big weekend for Boston College. These are the only in-conference games these two schools will play over the last weekend. And BC took three points. They won at Aganis on Friday and then skated to a 0-0 tie at Connie Forum in front of all the Thunder Sticks on Saturday. 
Yeah, and it was a quality performance for them both nights. That first night, though, I should say, Joseph Wall completely stole that game against BU. And I did some in-game math for the uh, for that first night for what uh, his save percentage would be. It would, was it was across eight games at the time. I think he he's now played nine games against Boston University. In fact, nine consecutive times have the goaltenders in these matchups been Joseph Wall and Jake Ottinger. I can't say this with any certainty, but I think that's a program record or something like that for you know most times that two goalies have faced off against each other. I, I'm sure someone will, uh, will fact check that, but it's got to be at least up there. Anywho, so Wall that first night, 38 saves on 39 shots. He was absolutely magnificent. And in my, in my opinion, stole the game away from uh, – completely stole the game away from BU. And given credit as well, they killed off a five-minute major after Jack McBain was sent to the showers early for contact and had a game misconduct. And they battled through that, and they played a really tough game. They played a really physical game, and they got the win on the road. And then at home, because this series has been weird lately, with a lot of road victories or ties, we had the first ever scoreless tie in the history of this rivalry. And these teams have played 200 79 times and it took the 279th to get a scoreless tie in this series and it was i was at harvard for this game but i watched the whole thing on my ipad uh for their their stream that they had on espn uh espn3 that was an exciting zero zero game for the duration of it and uh it's some awesome hockey by college hockey's premier rivalry And before we get into some more of the attendance talk that we started last week, and it's really going to ramp up this week because I think we both have an ax to grind on this. But before we do, I should mention the other thing I talked about in the introduction here, Michigan state, a school that I tend to get on a little bit unfairly because they're in a tough conference and they're just the odds are stacked against them in the Big Ten. They're playing ranked teams, it seems like, every single week. But maybe Michigan shouldn't be. They have a number next to their name. They always seem to have a number next to their name. But here we go with Roar Sparty. They, in Mun Ice Arena in East Lansing, they took a big win, four to three in regulation against Michigan, big win for the Spartans, and then in a shootout, which I still don't know if a shootout belongs in college hockey. I I don't think I like that. But Michigan State nonetheless won that shootout on Saturday at Yost, which winning at Yost, it doesn't matter if Michigan's good or bad, is never going to be an easy task, especially for a rival like that. So a big weekend for Michigan State and a real tough weekend for a Michigan team that I don't know, maybe maybe we all had our sights a little bit too high for these Wolverines. I look at Michigan and I see a team that has that has some talent. I mean, Quinn Hughes is an unbelievable backstop of a player. Jake Slaker is uh, is a wicked player as well. There's some talent on this Michigan team, but they probably just based off record alone, they probably don't deserve a number right now. Uh, they're currently so in the USA Today poll, which is only a top 15, and then the others receiving votes categories. Uh, the Wolverines are in the others receiving votes category. They're receiving like seven votes. They're tied with Clarkson, and the number 15 team right now is Arizona State, who continues to hold on to a number. They're at 23. And in the USCHO poll, which is um, uh, which is the top 20, and then the others receiving votes category, Michigan is 15th. Now, the teams that they're ahead of in that poll, Clarkson, Miami, Cornell, Arizona State, and Michigan Tech. So I'll automatically go ahead and, I, and say that I don't think Cornell should be ahead of them. I think that's fine. Clarkson, I could see. Miami, I could see. Arizona State, I could see. And Michigan Tech. I could totally see any one of those teams behind them except Cornell. And I only say about Cornell because they haven't been healthy. They've been missing a lot of players due to injuries. So I do think that Michigan probably is a bit on the 
overly rated or maybe overhyped side just because it's a team that was in the Frozen Four last year, had a great run, and it's a resurrection, we thought, of uh, of an old-timey program. So uh, to take not that much away from the talent they have because they have talent, they got shelled in two different ways on the weekend, and they they lost both these games, and Michigan State, I think justly, ended up with the sweep in points. They ended up having 46 shots compared to 29, including a period in which they outshot Michigan 19 to 12 in that third period. And it took a, uh, or excuse me, uh, Michigan State got outshot 19 to 12. And Michigan State got bailed out by their goaltender, Drew DeRitter. And then the next night, uh, it was kind of the same way again in which Michigan had some real offensive talent. But the problem is the Wolverine goaltending has been questionable. Strauss Mann and Hayden Levine have both been questionable, and Michigan State's capitalized on their opportunities. So I don't think it's a question of Michigan having the talent. They do, but it needs to fit together, and it doesn't seem like this puzzle is really fitting together for Michigan right now. I can only hope that Michigan State continues to see some marked improvement as time goes on because I didn't see any tape of this game, but I can imagine that 6,400 in that that building for that game against uh, maybe their biggest hockey rivals, maybe. Uh, I I would have to think I don't know the ins and outs of the Michigan State beefs that they have with other teams, but I imagine that their battles with – the, uh, with the guys from Ann Arbor is probably probably one of their big rivalry games. So a very good weekend from Sparty, ultimately. It is, and I think they are, to a degree, a program on the rise, or at least on the way to getting out of the Big Ten perennial basement, because since that conference has started, they've just been, they've been the team with everything stacked against them. But, you know, as college sports goes, you're only as bad as your incoming recruiting class. And as long as they start bringing in more players, then they'll start winning. And it looks like they're on the way to doing that in East Lansing. So here's a, here's a program that's had its ups and downs, but they might be back on the rise. And, you know, as much as I love the joke, it's kind of, it's getting nice to not make a poor Sparty joke every week got to say i kind of agree with that and just to highlight the struggles that michigan state has had this will be the last time i say anything that poor about them uh this program uh rick comely was their coach for a long time and led them to a national title in 2007 since then since that championship in 2007 when they had they scored two goals late in the third period against bc of that national championship game to to win it two to one uh, when it, they had a they had an empty netter and won three to one ultimately, but since that year in 2007, they have made the NCAA tournament and grand total of two times. They made it the next year in 2008. They made it in 2012. 2012 was the last time that Michigan State has been in the NCAA tournament, and that's a shame because it's a program with three national championships and that's produced a lot of really really good hockey, including the Cold War game with at. Uh, uh, at the big house over in Ann Arbor for the biggest attendance for any college hockey game of all time of over a hundred thousand people watching that game. So this program has some stories behind it and I'd like to see them really contend and make some more noise moving forward. I just, you know, we'll have to wait and see what ends up happening because I don't think this is the year in which they finally get back to the, to the mountaintop of the conference. I just think that Ohio State and Notre Dame are still running the show in that conference, and I think that they'll be the guys, and Penn State, and I think those three are really, really hard to beat for anyone in the country, let alone in that conference. Oh, of course. They're they're doing excellent jobs right now. Penn State had a had a tough weekend. They they split with Wisconsin, but they were on the road at the Kohl Center and they won on Friday night in overtime. So good weekend for good weekend for Penn State or at least decent weekend for Penn State. Ohio State comes out with a sweep of Minnesota. They needed overtime in both of their games, but they did score before the shootout. So at least you can give them that and a sweep is a sweep. It doesn't really matter if it goes to overtime at that point. So big weekends for both of those schools and and 
the top schools in the Big Ten just keep going. You mentioned Cornell, just to just to pivot back to our attendance issues. You were in the building in Bright Landry for Cornell visiting Harvard. And before this podcast, you were telling me you really have you have something to say about this one. Okay, so um let's underscore this with a few points. Harvard and Cornell are the ECAC's two most decorated schools by far. The other contenders that are going right now, and I mean all time. I mean, BU and BC had their runs when they were in the ECAC many, many moons ago, but they left in the 80s. So long-term for the programs that are in there and have the history in it, Harvard and Cornell are the two most decorated ECAC schools. So... Uh, Harvard played two games this weekend, both at home at the Bright Landry Hockey Center in Alston. It's technically listed as being in uh, they, Harvard and a bunch of their uh, their materials will say welcome to Cambridge to play when they're all all their athletic stuff is across the river in Alston, which is technically in Boston, which does mean that Harvard's playing facilities are actually more in Boston than BC, but I digress. Um, so the Crimson. And the Big Red played their second game in as many weeks because they played at MSG the week prior. And it was a heavy, heavy Cornell crowd out of the 14,000 who attended. And that's totally understandable. It, it was kind of expected for Cornell to fill up that building. And before I say anything else, I greatly respect the Cornell fan base. I think you have to. I think that have you ever, Tim? Have you ever seen uh, Cornell play a game at any point? Like, have you ever been to a Big Red game where they've been involved in any way? I have not. Okay, those people travel. Those people love their sport. Those people are loyal to their school, and for that, I have an endless amount of respect. That comes with the proviso of whenever they play Harvard at Harvard it turns into a Cornell home game where they basically call the Bright Landry Hockey Center Lina East. And it is entirely deserved because of the pathetic showing from Harvard at their home building, which turned into a Cornell home game. So I'm going to refer to Bright Landry as Lina East whenever Cornell is involved because the capacity of that building, if you include the standing room section, is about a little over 3,000. They got 3,095 people, and most of them were Cornell fans. You watch the tape on some of these goals. It's a Cornell home game. It's not a Harvard home game. The ice, the, the logo at center ice says Harvard. The Ivy indicates that that's a Harvard thing that they have on their building. It's not a Harvard home game. That's about as bad as Alphonse Arena becoming a UNH home game on an annual tradition. That's... And it's a farther trip than Cornell for Cornell to get there, and it would be from Durham to Orono, if I'm not mistaken. Now, of course, Maine is always a little bigger than I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this the building up at up at Orono is about is uh, I think about forty five hundred to five thousand. I think is some is somewhere where the Alphond is, and Bright Landry is a little bit smaller. It's about three thousand people, and yet with the total enrollment of Harvard. Which, by the way, the undergraduate enrollment at Harvard is 6,700, okay? The total student population at Harvard is 22,000. There are a lot of postgrads, and there are, but there's still 6,700 undergraduates. And I'm not even trying to get, if you filled up the, uh, you, you could fill up two, at least, Bright Landry Hockey Centers with the undergraduate population at Harvard. The fact that you have that kind of small-ish building and a program with the tradition and the acumen of Harvard, which has won a national championship, which has a bunch of players who have won the Hobie Baker Award, one of them recently, and one of them last year in the name of Ryan Donato would have won it if he would have played the whole season instead of going off to the Olympics for some part of it. He would have won the Hobie Baker Award because he was the most naturally talented college hockey player in the country last year. He's now playing in the National Hockey League. This current iteration has six NHL draft picks, four of them on the defense. One of them, Adam Fox, could play in the National Hockey League today if he wanted to. 
And the fact that you can't sell that to Harvard, you can't sell that to people who would be fine with booing Cornell, and that Cornell turns it into a home game for themselves every single year, that's utterly embarrassing. That's utterly embarrassing. And mind you, I am not saying anything bad about the Harvard people who go, who genuinely go, who go out and support their team. I want more of you. And I'm not saying anything bad about Jeff Weinstein, their, um, uh, their SID. I think very highly of him or the players or of Coach Donato or his staff. I think very highly of them. If I weren't a BU person, I would probably be a Harvard hockey fan because of my dad. He's, he's an alum from there from back in the 70s. The fact that this building annually, perennially, turns into a home game for Cornell is utterly embarrassing. I looked at that crowd and I thought, you know, could you imagine Matthews Arena being a home game for Boston College or Boston University every single year? That's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. That should lead to some form of change for the athletic department to market it a little bit better because you're telling me you can't find half the building. You, you can't find half the building of Harvard people, whether they be undergrads, whether they be grad students, whether they be families who are alums who live in the area. This isn't a big building. You just need 3,000 of them. You're telling me you can't find that many people of all those different ilks who would be fine with booing Cornell and then going out and celebrating afterwards and having a good party afterwards? Doesn't Harvard have a good party culture? You know, you go out and enjoy the hockey game and then you enjoy the festivities afterwards? You're telling me you can't fill that building against your biggest rival by far in your best athletic program by far? I get so frustrated with it because I know what this school is capable of for putting good teams on the ice. They have the tradition. They're not trying to build it up. They're not trying to hype themselves up to be one of the great programs in the sport. They already are. Yeah, I, I, I'll add on that, that for years and probably for pretty much the entire history of the tournament, when it comes to the bean pot, everyone shows up in force but Harvard. And I understand, by the way, and I, I will spot them this, that there are people out there listening to this podcast saying to themselves right now, yeah, but it's Harvard. You don't go there to watch sports. That's fine, but it's yeah. Harvard. It might be one of the biggest places to see school pride. Have you ever met anyone who was even so much as accepted to Harvard who doesn't tell you that from the jump? And here's, here's, a, yeah, and here's the thing. It deserves that reputation. It's the preeminent university in the country and among the preeminent schools in the world. It should carry with it a sense of pride. And those players, when, when Alex Kerfoot, captain of that Harvard team that went to the Frozen Four in 2017, when he walked up to the podium after losing to Duluth, he spoke endlessly with pride about representing that school. Those people love that school. And those players on the team know that their building is going to be filled up with Cornell fans whenever Cornell plays. Michael Floodstrand, who's cap one of the captains on the team this year, was in the, in the, pre the post-game press, press conference. And he was asked about what the, uh, what, whether the senior class had thought about this potentially being the last time that they ever get a kick at the can at beating Cornell at home. And he said, well, yeah, we all thought about it. We all, uh, none of us talked about it, but we all knew it. They have a, and this line is the most damning in some ways. They have a home crowd pretty much every time we play them. So it doesn't make that big of a difference. The players know. If the players understand and accept the fact that the building that they call their home is going to be turned into a road building whenever this one particular opponent comes in, and it is your biggest rival in your school's best sport, that's absolutely unacceptable. And I understand that some people there at Harvard are totally there for – Harvard is not there to be an undergraduate school. Harvard is there to be Harvard, to be a cultural institution, to be a proud and the greatest research university in the country and among them in the world. I absolutely get that. 
and it should be there for that. But when you're an undergrad there, you're telling me you don't want to boo Cornell? You're telling me you don't want to get joy out of beating the other Ivy League schools at this stuff, which your school is really good at today and long-term? And don't say they don't have traditions. I know people who didn't even go to Harvard who twice a year make it a point that they go as a family to see the Harvard Gilbert and Sullivan Company, which is really a famous thing that they do. And that's considered not just part of the Harvard experience, it's considered part of the living in Boston experience for these people. Because again, none of them have any direct connection to Harvard. These are just close friends of mine and they do it every single year, twice a year. It's a big family gathering. How is it that that's tradition? And and I don't mean to, to badmouth a great acting company that's that's involved some great comedians and actors over the years. Yeah, they deserve and, and the Harvard Lampoons and so many other. But my point is, don't believe you don't have campus traditions just because you're Harvard and you're different. Yeah, but you also have this hockey program that absolutely deserves your attention, that absolutely deserves your respect pretty much as much as anything else that they that goes along with their campus traditions. So if you're going to take part in those traditions, go see a hockey game. And what better one than the big rivalry? You going to the building means they don't get to come. Yeah, it means that it's an actual Harvard home game for players who deserve the support, for players who, in a lot of ways, have just kind of accepted that their home building is not going to be a home building. And this is to say, and this is not at all to poo-poo the Cornell fans. They have an awesome fan base. I have nothing but respect for that Cornell fans. This is in every possible way to hopefully get the crimson people to wake up and realize what they have. Because that's the frustrating part. They already have a tradition of winning. They already have a good building. It's nothing large or grand, but it's good, it's homey, it's intimate. And the you know what the loudest chant at Bright Landry was? The loudest chant emanating from the Cornell band, which they brought their own band there, by the way, and going through the whole building were Cornell fans chanting, Harvard sucks. In Harvard, you're telling me that that's the accepted annual state of that building when Cornell comes in. And then most other times, it's a half-full building. That's just unforgivable, in my opinion. That program deserves better. That coach deserves better. Those players deserve better than that. I remember Ted Donato's first year at Harvard, and even people who had no attachment whatsoever to that hockey program and you know, going to the bean pot and going around the – I was working with NU Radio at the time, so I was – Part of the, I was in the press box and I could hear so many people, even ones that had a vested interest in Harvard losing that week and the next one as well, that were saying, man, I can't wait. I hope Ted Donato gets this program back on track. I know he's a Harvard guy. I know he wants to restore the pride. And he has. Why haven't the students followed suit? I think because I, so last night I was over at Bentley uh, at their new, which by the way, the Bentley Arena is gorgeous. Whenever you have the opportunity, go catch a Bentley Falcon game at their new arena. It is an immaculate building. So that's just a sidebar for that. But I got to talk with a guy from the Harvard Crimson who's on the beat for, uh, for the hockey team. And in his explanation, Harvard is kind of a diffused campus. And there is a general sense of separation between the undergraduate uh, population and the athletic community because the uh, the athletics buildings are across the river and there is that sense of like literal physical separation but there is a sense also that harvard doesn't really exist to be an undergraduate school it exists to kind of be harvard the undergrad thing that they the uh the athletic thing that they care about the most by far is their football game with yale and that totally makes sense it's the it's among the oldest athletic traditions in all sports. I get that. But their best program, without any hesitation, is their hockey team. Men's and women's, I should know. They have one national championship at each. 
So I think there is a real problem with, uh, with, I guess, disinterest in the Harvard students. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but, but even the alumni base probably could do a better job in supporting it. And what's even more concerning is the fact that the athletics department doesn't seem like they're putting the resources in the right places for their promotion stuff. It's just as simple as maybe it's a bit of mismanagement. I don't know, but it's con- but whatever the cause of uh, of them turning into a Cornell home game, that's got to get fixed because this is one of college hockey's best programs. This is one of the winningest traditions. This is a program that's produced, I think, four or five Hobie Baker Award winners including a guy who is currently a star in the National Hockey League right now. That program needs to actually have people going to it. And I get so frustrated with this team and with BU as well, because BU should be like it, again, this arena should be like it was against BC, but every single night. That building should be jammed at capacity every single game, exactly the way it was. But I would take BU's situation of sometimes it being half full over it being overrun by the opposition's fans, particularly. I would I would feel great shame if Aganis Arena ever turned into feeling like Conti Forum. I can Bright, understand that. Yeah, Bright Landry felt like it was Lina East, and I have like Lina, and I've never been to Lina, but I know how it feels because I've been to Bright Landry for that matchup. That's humiliating. That's absolutely humiliating. And just so you don't think this is all beanpot bias, I have a bit of a rant of my own about last weekend because I watched Northeastern play Merrimack. And by the way, the Huskies looked great. Yeah, nine, nine to-, to one, they killed Merrimack. They were all over them. Their their scoring attack was great. They scored shorthanded. They scored even strength. They were great all around. The even the one was a really soft goal. Just you could tell Caden Primo was not expecting the shot, and he let it through. It was a blowout of epic proportions. And I understand I could hear it on the broadcast. And when they showed the, when the Howland Huskies productions that puts these things on showed the doghouse, it was full. They were out in force as they always are in good times and bad, but they were also about the only people in the building and come on Northeastern. This is, I don't care. I know the eighties were the eighties, but this is the best era in Northeastern hockey history. You have never had a coach like Jim Madigan. You have never had recruiting like this. You have never had this before. And by the way, you've always wanted this. I know because I am you. So this is what you've always wanted. Go to Matthews. It's a palace. It deserves the turnout. And when it has that turnout, it's one of the best buildings in college hockey. Don't embarrass the program because they're doing so well and they're doing everything right. They just gave Jim Madigan and Jerry Keefe very well-deserved extensions to stay with the program through it, through the next few years. And I'm sure they'll have the option to extend again if they keep playing like this, because again, this is as good as it's ever been. You just had a Hobie Baker winner. You lost the Hobie Baker winner, and you're still a ranked team. I can't. I still can't wrap my mind around that. And they're not packing out their arena. Granted, it's against Merrimack. Granted, by the second period, it wasn't a game anymore. But even in the first period, there was really no one there outside of the doghouse, and that's just. I that just doesn't fly with me. That's you can't do that when this is what you've always wanted. You have it. Enjoy it, please, because it might not last. The official number from that game against Merrimack, the listed box score attendance, 1,638 in a building that sits 4,666. The official undergraduate enrollment, and these numbers that I'm seeing are as of the fall of 2016. Just the undergraduate student population at that school is 17,923. Postgrads, 7,543. There are more 
postgraduate students at that school than there are seats at again at uh, at Matthews Arena by almost three thousand, by over three thousand actually. It's one of the biggest private schools in the country. I guess maybe your I guess maybe Northeastern is still getting adjusted to uh, to having this kind of program. I'm trying to come up with any kind of reason because, yeah. It, it's concerning. It's really concerning. I'd I'd rather be a Quinnipiac or a UMass fan at this point because at least they're jamming the building to capacity. I'd rather be a Cornell fan because they're jamming the building to capacity in a lot of ways. Or I'm at least happy that whenever BU fills their building and does it right, it is special. Because if you were at a Gannis Arena on Friday night, you know that was special. And that's that's what college hockey should be. And it should be like that in the city that knows it the best. After the Harvard game, I went over to a bar in uh, in Central Square in Cambridge and met a guy from Minnesota who was in for the Vikings-Patriots uh, game at Foxborough the next day on the Sunday. And I just got to talking with him, and I told him that I do college hockey stuff. And he explained, and he gushed over how much good hockey there was here. You know, he he knew that supposedly that Boston does this well. And in terms of the quality and in terms of the teams here, absolutely. The buildings should reflect it. And right now the buildings are not reflecting it except when BU and BC play each other. That's not good enough. Yeah, it's it, it's much like much like you said. And and of course Matthews has gotten up for these big games. When they played St. Cloud State, there were people out in force, but Again, it doesn't matter if it's a big game. Every game's a big game when this is what you've always wanted. Now, I know many people who are familiar with the school will tell you, and this is almost true of every Boston school, but certainly of Northeastern, that it's more a pro sports school, that it's hard to get up for the college sports when you can walk to Fenway Park during baseball season. But it's not baseball season anymore. And by the way, those tickets are very expensive. You can go to Matthews on the cheap. So what's the deal? Get to the building. No more excuses. And if you're an alumnus and you want to go to a game, suck it up and deal with the traffic. There's it, This has to change because everything else with the program has. Don't let your, don't let your building lag behind because the building itself has always deserved better. It was part of the rally cry when we were trying to get that program to come to its senses and to become what it's becoming right now was Matthews Arena is too good to not have a good hockey team in it. Now they do, and the only good fans in it are in the doghouse, which, again, always got to give credit to that student section, but that's only a portion of the arena. You have to fill up the rest of it and this is, well, you're not making the NCAA tournament in basketball. And if you are, you're not lasting past the first weekend. You don't play football anymore. You have a good baseball program, but you really only see those players thrive when they occasionally get to Major League Baseball like Adam Ottavino. So you have to deal with it. You have to go to these games. It's just sad because they've done everything right. And they're still lagging behind. It's a lot like where Harvard's at, except they don't have the excuse of being a mostly post-grad school. They don't have the excuse of people don't go to Harvard who are sports fans. They absolutely don't have any excuse. And at least Matthews doesn't feel as the – I will say at least Matthews doesn't at times feel like a road game for its home team. No, no, it doesn't. It didn't even when Northeastern was a legitimately bad program, and there were good reasons to not go to Matthews on a Friday or Saturday night. Yeah, it's an interesting spot for college hockey to be in uh, out here, out east, uh, at least up in in Boston in particular, the nexus of Eastern college hockey, except for when we've kind of been burying the lead on what the actual biggest story in college hockey is because of our interest and our bias but really the story is greg carvel at umass amherst turning that program into a dynamite championship contender and the number one team in the country right now and for mullins to be jam-packed i am so thrilled for that building to be full because that program deserves it 
Yeah, they've come a long way in a short time, and their first number one ranking ever came through the USCHO poll on Monday, and well-deserved with even though St. Cloud State is still chugging along, they did drop a single point this weekend, tying a game. So that opened the door for the Minutemen to take first in the nation. Now, we know these polls are only worth so much. They're only worth bragging rights, but bragging rights are almost all that college sports are about anyway. So congratulations to the Minutemen on a huge milestone for them on a massive season they're having right now. If it continues, then we're going to have to make something of this because maybe maybe there's just a changing of the guard going on in college hockey. And I don't know if anywhere's a better evidence of that than what's going on in Amherst right now. It's special. I mean, in part, they got in some amazing talent. And what's bigger for them is that Kale McCarr and most of that freshman class committed to UMass under John Micheletto, the prior coaching staff, before Greg Carvel got there. But they made the coaching change. And I actually, so yesterday, I actually got to speak with Kale McCarr over phone. I, I'm, I'm writing up a feature on him for InsideHockey.com, which should be up either tonight or tomorrow. I'm going to put my money on this, will go up on uh, that story, will probably go up on Thursday. So, I got to talk with him, and he explained how it never properly occurred, or it never really was a big piece in his mind to transfer or to decommit. He wanted to stay loyal to his commitment that he made to go to Amherst. And it's a remarkable job, A, of recruiting by the prior administration that sadly they don't get to see in because that was that was on the Micheletto staff's work to recruit and get people like McCarr, Ferraro, Leonard, Chow. You know, those kinds of people have transformed that program into a 12-1 and dynamo. And that only loss, by the way, came back in October against the, at the time, number one Ohio State Buckeyes. So it's a great credit to the prior administration for doing a very good job in recruiting and for changing its its uh, approach, but it's also a great testament to Greg Carvel for pretty much not lose losing anyone out of that uh, that collection, particularly keeping McCarr because he's got my vote for the Hobie right now. He he has my vote to win the Hobie Baker Award. I think he's been just utterly phenomenal so far this year. I think he's had the biggest impact of anyone on on, uh, on any team. It should be noted that in the USA Today poll, UMass Amherst is number two, but it's not that far behind St. Cloud. It's a seven-point overall difference. It's 19 first-place votes for St. Cloud and 14 first-place votes for Amherst. That's a very, very close margin, and one, uh, one game going one way or the other could vault them over for whatever it's worth. And if we were playing the NCAA tournament today, they'd be a number one seed. It'd be... UMass and St. Cloud would be the two number one seeds or the the top two seeds in that tournament. They absolutely deserve what they've gotten so far. I just hope it continues for them because this is a wicked story. Well, we'll see this week because they've got a they've got a tough home and home test out of conference. They're playing Quinnipiac. First game is in Hamden on Friday night, and then they come home to the Mullins Center on Saturday against well, they're the number eight team in the USCHO poll, and Quinnipiac has, I don't know if I'd say they surprised. I think it was more they flew under the radar coming into the season, and they've just got back to where they were before last year, where they had a little bit of a step backward. I think that's fair. That program looks at the 17-18 year with some considerable embarrassment because of how poorly they performed. And what's amazing this year is that I said even in my, my preseason preview of this team, I thought that they were lacking the offense needed to do something because they have they have the defense. And Keith Petruzzelli is an NHL draft pick by uh, the Red Wings. He's a good goaltender, and they have good defense out in front of them. But I didn't think that they had uh, the offensive potential that you really need to make some noise. And what have they done to answer that? 
oh, just score the second most goals in the nation to this point. Behind Penn State, because the Nittany Lions are a circus show, averaging 5.13 goals per game, and they have 77 goals this season. The uh, Quinnipiac has 58 goals uh, in total. So they are 15 behind the circus show that is Penn State. So there's not really any shame in uh, being in being that far behind. By the way, the goals per game stat for Quinnipiac is 3.87. That's fifth. The teams that are ahead of them in, the, in those categories, other than Penn State, in order, St. Cloud and Minnesota State are tied at 407, and UMass is at 408. So you're seeing two of the premier offensive teams. You're seeing two of the best uh, two-way teams. Quinnipiac has the best goal margin, uh, as in like the, the difference between the goals that they have scored and the goals they've given up this year. Their goal margin is a plus 31. UMass is a plus 27. That's fifth sandwich between them and those two in order again. St. Cloud and Minnesota State are at 29th which really is just to say that the state of hockey is really good at hockey again. And Bowling Green is having an excellent season out of the WCHA. And it should be noted Bowling Green is the best defensive team in uh, in the country at a 167 tied with Notre Dame for the fewest goals allowed per game. But yeah, this weekend series between Quinnipiac and UMass is the series to pay attention to for pretty much every single metric imaginable because these are two fan bases that will churn out will fill their buildings, and these are two teams that want to win desperately. So I'm excited that I'll get to be in both buildings for both these games. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be an electrifying series. And the other big series coming up this weekend, Penn State and Notre Dame. You mentioned the circus show that is the Penn State Nittany Lions right now, and Notre Dame just still chugging along they they've been one of the best teams in the country throughout the season they're number five in the latest uscho polls penn state's number nine this is the only other meeting of top 10 teams this weekend and it should be a show in in and of itself when penn state plays it always is and penn state and notre dame and pegula this is yet more proof that you know, Notre Dame, you just can't fool us college hockey fans. You've always been a Big Ten school. Yeah, and on s- contrast to styles, I think this is the clearest difference between uh, the style of two teams. Penn State has the two leading scores in the nation. They have the leading goal scorer in Evan Barrett, a sophomore who's a draft pick of, uh, of Chicago, and another sophomore uh, – from uh he's not a draft pick from anyone but they both have 25 points barrett with 12 goals and 13 assists alex lamoges i think is how you pronounce his name i'm very sorry if i missed that eight goals and 17 assists that's 17 assists the most in the country by the way following pretty closely behind them for total points at 24 odin tufto of quinnipiac so you're seeing some of the leading scorers kale mccarr by the way is number 12 So Notre Dame has struggled. They don't have the same offensive potential as as Penn State. I mean, any team that has the two leading scorers in the nation is going to be a little bit hard to to deal with. But as mentioned prior, Notre Dame is tied for the fewest goals allowed per game, in large part because Cale Morris continues to be amazing. He's played in 15 games. He started 12 of them. So he's seen uh, almost 80% of his team's ice time. He has a 183 goals against average, which is fourth in the country. And he has a 939 save percentage, which is, again, fourth in the country. He has been magnificent for Notre Dame. Only one shutout, but really, he's been the backbone of that team. And it's really quite impressive to see the the run of Notre Dame goaltenders with Cal Peterson doing a really good job under Jeff Jackson, who himself was a goaltender and has made his tenure on defensive intensity and score timely goals. So you're seeing a goaltender heavy defensive powerhouse in Notre Dame going up against an aerial circus show in Penn State. I just think I, I think the 
uh, Quinnipiac UMass matchup is probably the more compelling one on standings, but for styles and contrasts, I don't think there's a clearer contrast than between Penn State and Notre Dame right now. And of course, this isn't this isn't one of the premier matchups of the weekend necessarily, but it might be one of the more interesting ones. Arizona State playing Princeton in Princeton. These are two teams that can light the lamp. See, I would have listed if we would have had this matchup a couple weeks ago when Penn State was still on the rise and before Princeton's weekend against Quinnipiac, I think I would have listed this as one of the premier matchups, but I think that both these teams have both hit a bit of a lull. So I will definitely keep tabs on this one at Hobie Baker rink. And I hope that I hope that the good people of Princeton, New Jersey go and support their team because they have a good one. They have the reigning conference champions, but I don't know exactly what to make out of that series. I, I think we might end up with a split that I don't know what to expect out of this matchup, you know? I think that's kind of the story of Arizona State's season. Nobody really knows what to make of them. Even the more we see them, the less we know what to make of them. The the Sun Devils are, well, they're their own thing. And Princeton, they've been up and down this year as well. Yeah, I mean... I've heard it explained by some people that Princeton might be not a very deep team because you get beyond that top line and the the first couple defensemen and you you run into a little bit, uh, you run into some question marks, but man is that top offensive unit and that top deep pairing wicked and man can Ryan Furland steal a game is the way I've heard it explained by some people. And uh, I'll admit that last one, I think well of Furland because I've seen him, just I haven't seen him in person yet this year, but I've seen him steal some games away from people. And he, in a way, he kind of stole the ECAC tournament last year. So I think it's definitely possible to see Princeton make some noise and make some comeback. But Johnny Walker has faded for Arizona State. He at one point was the nation's leading goal scorer, and he's still up there. He's actually now tied with Evan Barrett for uh, the leading goal totals in the country with 12. The problem is that he has been held. He was held completely pointless in their series against Omaha, and he hasn't scored a goal. He had one against Harvard, which ended up being an overtime winner, which is no small thing. But dating back to their series against Michigan State, he has one point, one goal in six games. So I think that if Penn's that uh, excuse me if uh, Arizona State is to get themselves in order, they need their superstar to score like a superstar again, and he's just been held quiet a little bit lately. I think. And of course, we'd be remiss to not mention that in Ralph Engelstad Arena, North Dakota is going to host Denver for the weekend. That's that's a big one too, and it. Even if these teams didn't have numbers next to their names, that's always a big one. But this year, especially coming off a good weekend for North Dakota where they got a hard-earned split, that this is going to be a fun one too. Yeah, Denver comes in number five in the country. North Dakota is at 14 in uh, in both the polls, in one of them Denver six, but in the five to six range. And these teams have a lot of tradition against each other as well. They've been conference rivals for almost their entire inception. They have eight national championships apiece. And uh, my editor, uh, Eric Burton, is going to be in the Ralph for this series. He's a North Dakota guy. And let's get him on uh, next week to discuss the state of North Dakota hockey and see what they're up to. Because they're having a weird season in some ways for their uh, their expectations because there's some weekends when they look excellent and then others where they just don't look quite as good. I fear that North Dakota might be hovering in that bubble of getting a number because we expect them to have a number. They're 8-6-1 overall, so it's not like they're a bad team and they've gotten some well-earned wins, but I think a good weekend against Denver would verify that they deserve to have that number so i think that they should and will treat it as importantly as they need to yeah it's kind of one of those put up or shut up weekends the way that 
the way that we keep thinking Michigan's going to have one of these days. And they've got Michigan, of course, hosts Minnesota at Yost over the weekend. Much like North Dakota, they really need a win or two to prove that they belong right now. Of course, we know they have the talent. Much like North Dakota, we know they have the talent. But they need to show it a little more on the ice to justify their ranking for whatever these rankings are worth. And of course, in just a couple of months, we'll we'll get to the pairwise season when when your USCHO and USA Today rankings really stop mattering entirely. So for now, it's something we can talk about, but really only for now. Yeah, and it's it's kind of fine to uh, just know that we have these right now, that these are the closest things we have for our rating system. And for whatever it's worth, uh, they do keep track of the current pairwise stats going right now. And actually in the pairwise, it's totally useless at this point but your top just if we were only to select your pairwise teams for the guys who'd be in the frozen four umass st cloud duluth and the mavericks of mankato with quinnipiac at five and notre dame at six so just kind of curious to see where everyone is right now we'll see when the seasons uh start to wind a little bit when things start to matter i guess a little bit more in in these polls but yeah, it's just kind of a curious time. where, And it's right before the holiday season. Most teams are playing their final games of the first semester this weekend. There'll be a few next week. I think BU and Denver's one. The WCHA has a bunch. And Princeton-Penn State is one for uh, next week. Not this upcoming weekend, but the weekend following that will properly close out the first half of the season. And uh, by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't note that there's a really curious ECAC matchup that uh, I didn't think I would be regarding as interesting as uh, as I am right now, but Union and Yale. Because Yale, I did not think that I would be regarding Yale with the kind of uh, you know respectability that they are, but they're third place, or tied for second rather, with Dartmouth in the ECAC right now and union is eight, three and two and is a nationally ranked team. So I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that also being a game. I'm really curious about. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. And then Yale on Tuesday of next week goes on to play the university of Massachusetts. So they'll be in the Mullins center on Tuesday. This is a tough weekend for the Bulldogs. Yeah, three games in five days. I mean, Harvard and Bentley just did it, and they both admitted that they were exhausted. And by the way, Yale will have to do that uh, a week after they've had some crazy times in a year when they've traveled to Northern Ireland and looked they've looked very good over there in that tournament in Belfast. And now they're coming back here with some real potential to make some noise in the ECAC. Again, third or i should say tied for uh tied for it with with dartmouth and they have an opportunity to look really good but then it's always curious to note that oh yeah you go and play this really intense hockey and then afterwards you're a yale student or you're a harvard student or a princeton student or a you know a student at an elite school like that that's just a different level of respect that i think you deserve for being able to do all of that and not to say that, uh, I mean, UMass is no slouch as well academically, nor is uh, nor nor are Northeastern or BU or BC or anything like that. But there's some different level of respect to be had towards the Ivy League students who are able to do this and play at a high level. I think. Yeah, I'll agree with that, and I'll also agree with your your other sentiment. College hockey is not college football. You don't have a whole lot of schools up there that aren't exactly known for. You know, we don't play school here. That doesn't really happen in in college hockey. There are only sixty schools, and most of them are really good schools. So, so that's something college hockey can and always has hung its hat on. But certainly, those Ivies, well, they're the Ivies for a reason. They always stand above in academics 
and they hold everyone to a high standard. And by the way, when they don't, it comes down on them harder than it does on, say, some of the traditional powerhouses and other sports that can kind of, you know, brush aside if something bad happens academically with their sports teams. I remember not that long ago when Harvard had that fallout with their basketball team, it was brutal to them because Harvard and academic and scandal are three things that you never want to see in the sentence together. And they hold their hockey teams to a high standard. They hold their students to a high standard. As you said earlier, they really should hold their fans to the same high standard. Yeah. One can only hope that they actually do uh, that. Uh, they, they, they certainly do their first ones. I mean, at Ryan Donato, I keep referencing him, but he's a great example of all this. He played so he played in the ECAC tournament, helped his team to reach the it was his third consecutive trip to the ECAC's final four up in Lake Placid. It was his per- personally his third. Um, they fell just short of playing for the championship. They lost to Clarkson in overtime. He signed with the Bruins shortly thereafter, played his NHL debut on that Monday night against the St. Louis Blues, got a goal and an assist. And then the next day, he's right back at Harvard taking classes there again because he was still a student at Harvard and still living out of his college dorm room, but also playing NHL hockey. That's the kind of tradition that you have there. That's the kind of talent that exists at that school. Well, I'd say this is about to wrap up the angriest episode we've had yet of Puck University. I mean, we like this sport and we don't like when people uh, actually have a tradition and don't bother to care for it. It, it, has to be, it has to be nurtured and taken care of. Otherwise, it fades out. Uh, it, it has to be at least respected, the fact that some of these schools have traditions or uh, or have you know winning histories. Northeastern had their time in the 80s when they were consistently excellent. They have a recent history of winning. Harvard has an all-time history of winning. People should support that. We'll continue to promote that. I just hope that the athletic departments get wind of all this, that there's people around these programs who don't think this is good enough and that they actually listen. Yeah, yeah, one can only hope, and um, one can only hope BC stops stealing my ideas. If I suddenly hear a podcast a lot like this one coming out of Boston College, we might have some words, Newton. (laughs) So this has been Puck University. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at TimWrightSports. Follow Chris on Twitter at CC Lynch Wall. If you're going to either of these games between Quinnipiac and Massachusetts Amherst, wave up to the press box. He'll be the guy in the hat. And as always, keep your head up and your hits clean. Mm-hmm.